Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's this misconception around ads is that I think people believe that my product is good. Let me go ahead and run ads. But when you run ads, it's more than just ads that make it work. And so you can have a really good product, but if you have a bad website, a bad call to action, if you don't know how to convey your value or the message and the benefit of that product or service, it makes it extremely difficult for someone to travel then to your website who's never heard of you. You have no validation points and for them to buy from you. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. 
So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Abu, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. I have been targeted by all your ads, all your content, and I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because he's doing amazing things. So first off, let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I listen to your podcast, so I'm excited to be here. But uh, for those that don't know me, I think people see me as a digital marketer, uh, someone who focuses on advertisement, someone who focuses on just driving sales online. So that's who I am to other people. If you ask my friends, they'll be like, he's just a simple guy <laughs> and he likes helping people out. And so I, I live in, in these two realms of how people see me and how I see myself as well. I think that is something that many people can resonate with, right? It's like our careers, our jobs, our businesses can become so much of who we think we are, but it's not everything about who we are. And so I want to get to know you and your story. Let's take it back to before you were an entrepreneur, before you knew exactly what you were put on this earth to do. What was that journey like for you? Where did you grow up? What was your environment like? And what were those first signs, I guess, from the universe that there was a higher calling for you? Yeah, I think for me, I, I grew up very poor area. My family migrated here to the States from West Africa when I was a child. And whatever poor was in the U.S., we were below that. <laughs> you know, it used to be all seven of us sleeping in one room on the floor. And it's funny because I got so used to sleeping on the floor. And now sometimes when I'm in my bed, I like to just go on the floor because <laughs> some of the things and, and how we grew up. But um, you know, it was hard. But I know my mom, she always preached education. She said, you know, it's the greatest equalizer. And as an immigrant, that's the mentality, right? Like, it's like, well, this is the only thing you sort of have. And so I worked really hard when I was in school. And I knew the only way to go to college was to get a full scholarship. And so in, in school, I worked extremely hard and I was able to get a full scholarship. But I didn't want to go to college, which is weird, because I grew up in a neighborhood where people didn't go to college. But here I was in a position to go to college and not having to pay anything for it. And I think the reason being is in my internal soul, I just felt like I should be doing something more, something bigger. And I didn't know at that time that it was called entrepreneurship or you go out there and you bet on yourself. But I just knew the path that I was supposed to follow. There was a lot of friction, a lot of these internal conversations I would have with myself. But being that, you know, I grew up in an African household with an African parent, an immigrant parent, you didn't really have choices <laughs> or a say or a voice at that time. So I went to college. And despite my mom, I thought I graduated college in like two and a half years. And so for me, there were these signs, even when I was younger and, you know, I used to be outside football games or the water ice stand. I would always try to find ways to make something better. I, I would go and stand at a fast food line and like, how could they improve this process? And I don't know why I'm thinking that at 10, 11 years old, but I think that's where my mind always goes towards is how do I make things easier and, and how do I help more people? What did you study in college? 
in college, I studied supply chain and information systems. So which is like literally how my mind works is like, how do you move things from A to B the most effective way? And so what was the original goal? Like, did you have a dream career while you were going through college that you imagined using this degree for? Yeah. So (laughs) my dream career, my dream was to play professional soccer. But again, you didn't have a lot of choices growing up and, and what you could do. I sort of lost my identity when I lost the ability to play soccer. And as I was trying to find my identity, I was trying out a bunch of different things. And I ended up getting into entrepreneurship because I helped out at the Special Olympics one summer. And a lot of the athletes that I worked with, they were told all their life the things that they couldn't do. And it resonated with me in a way because I'm like, man, people are, you know, they believe in themselves, but a lot of their limitations is like what they believe based on how their parents' belief is in them and how society's belief is in them. And so I had wanted to help out. And so I started a clothing brand. At that time, I called it MOAP, Motivational Apparel, literally Motivation, M-O, Apparel, A-P. I was very creative. I started selling clothes and I would give a portion of the proceeds to the Special Olympics. And so for me, that was sort of like losing my identity and then regaining it in something that that allowed me to make impact, something I was really passionate about that time is really what spurred me down into exploring entrepreneurship some more. Yeah, I was listening to one of your recent podcasts where you were talking all about self-belief and the power that we have or that we take away from ourselves based on what we allow ourselves to believe that we're capable of, right? And I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking small, living small, when that's pretty much everything that you see around you. When you come from areas that are low income or from cultures that are very much like in survival mode, these discussions around wealth building and entrepreneurship and like generational wealth, it can feel like, why are we talking about this? Like this isn't for us. I'm wondering if you've felt that same feeling as you've leveled up in your entrepreneurial career? Like who the hell am I to be here? (laughs) Absolutely. I feel that every day. And for some people, it's a shock because they're like, but you've made it. And I think there's a different level of pressure, especially when you're helping your family. The money that you're making isn't really the money that you're making because, you know, what's your take home and then what's actually like goes in your pocket after you take it to your home and help your family. But for me, there, there are many times where I felt that, you know, I grew up in a really poor household, and the last thing we talked about was money. We never talked about money because we didn't have it. And so a lot of my financial learnings was through my own mistakes, was me literally going out there in society. I'm like, okay, what's a savings account? I should open one. What's a checkings account? And I think for me, because I knew the only way to go to college, I had to go through, like, study my own education. My, My family didn't have it. This was another barrier. Like my family couldn't teach me these things because they didn't have financial education. You know, my mom didn't come from a wealthy family. So here I was again, feeling all alone and even making money. You know, am I deserving of this? I remember the first time I was interning for a company in the summer, they were paying me $17 an hour. And I was like, this is more than my mom got paid an hour. So I'm thinking I'm rich. I'm like, wait a second. And that summer I worked for them and I ended up taking home about $12,000 over like a three month summer period. And I was like, oh my God, like my mom only makes 30,000 in 12 months and I made 12,000 in three months. And I'm like, wait a second. 
And so a lot of my learnings just just came from a lot of mistakes that I had to make along the way. Yeah. That is the journey to entrepreneurship, y'all. Like anybody who tells you that they get it right the first time and that you can create like this empire in six months is trying to scam you. So just walk away because it's a red flag. It really is built in the trenches. And I always love this saying, everybody sees overnight success, but they don't realize like it was 10 years in the making, right? So that work, uh, you can't substitute it. You can't outsource it, especially in the beginning. You got to figure out what works and then think about building that lasting empire. So let's talk about how you first get into the digital marketing space. What was your journey into realizing the power of the internet to build a business? Yeah, so I was a very, um, I don't want to say weird child, but I was very (laughs) unique in a sense that I was really wanting to learn a lot. You know, my mentor always told me like curiosity always was a big driver for me. And so during the summertime, I try to learn new skills. I remember that summer, it was Morse code. Now don't ask me nothing about Morse code. And it was Facebook ads. And these are the two things I was trying to learn that summer. And I remember going through the first time, going through some YouTube videos of Facebook ads and reading, going to get like marketing for dummies, you know, going to the library to check out the book. And I was like, okay, paid ads. Like, I don't really understand it. And I started consuming it, but I never applied it. And this was around high school. I never applied it. I go to college and I'm now real world application. I'm trying to sell my t-shirts, the business that I started to people. And after setting up stands, I was like, okay, if I set up stands, the only people who could buy from me are the people that walk in the direction of the stands. (laughs) But I was like, but how do I get people who are not in this area? And I was like, wait a second, I remember paid advertisement. So I go back to my notes that I had taken in high school. And I was like, well, let me go ahead and try it out. So that was my first use application. I wasn't good in the beginning, but I think that clothing brand really allowed me to experiment. And so I started experimenting with a clothing brand. And then I went to the town and I said, hey, restaurants, you guys are struggling. Let me run your ads for you. And the reason I did that is because I didn't have money. And so and I was trying to practice and I didn't have money. So I was like, restaurants, I'll do it for free for you. But all you got to do is provide a budget. And that's how I really started sharpening my skills was like through the local businesses. And then I went back to my T-shirt business and I started generating income. I started making 5K a month, 10K, 15K a month. And I'm about 19 and 20 year old college student, mind you. So I then take these ideas and this income that I'm making. I go to my professors because at this point I'm missing classes because I'm literally doing what they're telling me in the class on my business. And I'm taking it to these professors and they think it's a scam. They're like, social media, it's not going to be around for long. You shouldn't be focused on this. Like, I don't know how you're making the money and capital. So they really discouraged me from entrepreneurship, although I had something that was making money. And so that's sort of how my journey went through that because they discouraged me so much that I went back to corporate. And I said, you know what, this is just a fad. You know what, you are right. I don't know how I'm making this money. Maybe it isn't legal. You know, I started because they they were talking me out of it. And I said, okay, well, let me leave and let me not do it. That's incredible. First of all, the naysayers can be so loud that we end up really paying attention to opinions that don't matter. And, you know, this idea that like social media is a fad, that it's not going to be around. Like my little sister right now is studying social media in college. So full circle moment where you got college professors telling you it's a scam to now it being 
college curriculum because this is literally not going anywhere. Okay, so did you end up like graduating or you said, nah, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. I'm just going to go work and like figure my life out. Yeah, so I, I, I did graduate because of my African mom, but <laughs> yeah, she was not gonna have <laughs> yeah, she was not gonna have she said, Where do you think you're gonna come back and live? So I was <laughs> like, All right, let me let me graduate. But I, I was again very unique kid and so I was taking about thirty credits a semester while I was running this business and being an RA and all this stuff. So I and credit wise, I'd already graduated. And so what I decided to do was I left school early and I went to live in Italy. I was so interested in fashion at that time. I went to go study fashion design in Milan. I got to work with some of the biggest brands from Versace. Like it was an experience and it got me back into entrepreneurship because I was like, wait a second. I really like this thing that I'm doing. There's really not a name for it. People are hiring me based off my skill set. And, you know, I'm not at an agency or anything. So I did graduate school, but I just left. I ended up not walking when I graduated. I came back years later to walk for graduation because of my mom. But and I was a speaker the same year I walked. Yeah, that's incredible. Okay, so I love the fact that you mentioned also that your initial way of building your skills was to offer them for free. Yeah. And I think enough people don't talk about like, that's actually what needs to happen. You need to start building your authority. You need to start building trust. You need to start building a portfolio, a track record of success. And a lot of times in the beginning, that's going to be in exchange for doing unpaid labor. So when did you start to charge and how did you decide on pricing? When did you feel like you were ready to start asking for money? Because then, right, like now you got skin in the game. Now people are paying you like actual dollars to make things happen. And if you can't make it happen, then there goes your business. Absolutely. And I think for me, what I did was I built case studies. Like the free labor was an exchange for a case study. Hey, I'm going to publicly use this business as a case study. That's the exchange, right? So you don't have to pay me, but I'm going to create a whole case study from beginning to end everything we exactly did, where you started, where you ended. And so then when it came to positioning myself to get paid, it's a lot easier when you have case studies that you've done, you have free work that people could. So the issue was, I remember when I try to charge someone without them seeing my work, we'd get on the phone, they go back and forth, haggle, haggle, haggle. But when I started with these case studies, when we got on the phone, it was, okay, how much is it? There was no back and forth because they, they saw the proof already. Before they got on the phone, they saw 20 different case studies, different industries, how we walked through, where they started, where they ended. But creating those 20 case studies took me a lot of time. I was still working my nine to five job. And then after five to nine, I'd work on those case studies. But then when I started charging the 5K, the 10K a month, there was no back and forth. It was like, okay, got it. Here's the money. And so every one is different, but there's a time period where you, you have to build the proof. You have to build the authority, right? That you actually know what you're doing. Absolutely. Now, I think one of the pitfalls of paid ads is that it's, Somehow people have been convinced that like if you throw enough money at a problem, like you get, it's just going to solve it. So like if you're not selling anything organically, just go and do some ads and all of a sudden you're going to be making like seven figures, right? Where are people getting this wrong? Yeah, so <laughs> a lot of fronts, but I think the the most obvious one is it's hard to sell something with ads that you haven't sold organic, right? And then it's hard to 
sell it even more if you have made no, no sales. I tell people all the time, like start by selling your product or service organically, you know, create the content on social media, get on the phone, right? If you don't have a lot of money, like you, you have to increase your level of effort when it comes to marketing. And so get on the phone and close, collect cash flow early on, and then you could create a budget for marketing. And so I think that's the first thing is they need to understand that you actually have to sell this organically. And people also actually have to want your products that's outside of your friends and family. You have to validate people that don't know you in order to buy your product. The other thing, there's this misconception around ads is that I think people believe that, okay, my product is good. Let me go ahead and run ads. But when you run ads, it's more than just ads that make it work. And so you can have a really good product, but if you have a bad website, if you have a bad call to action, if you don't know how to convey your value or the message and the benefit of that product or service, it makes it extremely difficult for someone to travel then to your website who's never heard of you. You know, you have no validation points and for them to buy from you. And so these are like the two biggest things that I, that I see people struggle with. Yeah, it's like the desire to outsource too early, but then it's like, what are you even outsourcing? Like, what are you asking someone to do if you have no idea how to sell your product? An algorithm's not going to sell it. Your copy has to sell it. And your copy is based on what has converted organically. What's the messaging that people are actually already resonating with when you are getting on these sales calls, when you are doing your webinars, when you are doing your social content and you're email marketing. That's where the stuff comes from, right? And so ads are not a shortcut for the work that it takes to validate your product. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, and first of all, you better have an excess amount of cash flow to be putting behind ads before you even start thinking about it because it's not cheap, right? Like it, these companies that we see advertising on Facebook and TikTok and whatever, they're putting thousands of dollars hoping for it to convert. But like, how do you know what's a good amount of money to spend to reach your goal? Yeah. So for me, when I first started years ago, I, when I was a college student, I had $100 a month. So that was my budget. But I think there's something to say for slow growth, right? Slow growth is also good growth. I think sometimes people think quick growth is the only way. So they go and they waste all their marketing budget and marketing efforts because they're not willing to wait, right? They're, they don't have like the level of patience to, to wait over time. For me personally, I found there's two types of people that run ads. The first group of people really don't understand data. And so I would say that they need a higher budget. Because if you don't understand how to analyze the data that's coming in from your website, from your social media, you know, from, you know, people that are visiting the specific product pages, et cetera, then it's really hard to pinpoint the area that you need to focus on. Therefore, you're going to be spending a lot of money. Now, the second group of people have a better understanding of data, but what they could do is they could tell the story of the data. Okay, 10,000 people visited the website and out of those, only 50 went to the product page. Well, there's something wrong with the first website that they landed on if only 50 out of 10,000 went. So let me make sure I specify this specific campaign to retarget, right? Um, or I need to tweak something on the website. And so what I teach my current students in the program that I run is how to run ads effectively with smaller budgets. And so I always recommend to them if they're running campaigns, depending on 
where it is along the customer journey, because again, we're reading the data. They're starting anywhere from like five to $15 per campaign for retargeting anywhere from like five to $10, depending on the volume of people coming in. But I would say if you're a small business owner, you're like, okay, but what's the budget I should start with? I think start anywhere from allocating at first, anywhere from a thousand to $2,000 to that marketing budget specifically for ads to test. That's what I would recommend small business owners and solopreneurs do to start. Love it. Okay. So let's talk about scaling, right? Anybody who has a successful multiple six figure or seven figure business and beyond, y'all ain't doing this shit alone. And I promise you, I'm not doing it either. So when did you first decide to outsource and what was the first thing that you decided to outsource? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. I should have definitely outsourced earlier. <laughs> I was doing everything. That's the common refrain from all business owners. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, I could do it myself. Like, uh, no. Um, and, and what that brought me was like that year when I was scaling by myself, I was just sad. I didn't want to be around no one. I was just not pleasant to be around because... I thought I could just do everything myself, but it's not worth it. It's really not worth your sanity losing that. For me, when I was scaling, I decided to, I remember I made, I think about 60,000 in two months and I was like, okay. And then when I hit a hundred thousand, when I hit, I think 250,000, I was like, okay, well, let me start thinking about someone to, to bring on. So this was like top of year two and I made 250,000 in 30 days. And I was like, okay. I need help because 
if I'm bringing in 250,000, that means I have more customers. And so the first two people that I brought on and I hire for pain, right? I hire for need. I don't hire because I want to look like I have a big team, which most entrepreneurs do right out the gate. They're like, well, I want to look like I'm a real company, but you don't do that. And so the two people that I hired first, one was customer support inbox. I found where am I spending most of my time? Oh, I'm responding back to inquiries. I'm responding back to people that have frequently asked questions or students that are struggling with logging in. So now I'm spending literally eight to 10 hours a day on customer service where now I can't even grow the business because I'm, in, I'm doing the things. And so I hired for customer service. So I went to man the inbox. And then the second hire I did was an operations person. I needed to relieve some of the processes in my mind, especially for when someone became a student, when someone paid, I wanted them to have a good experience with the product. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to hire an operations person that's going to focus on what once they become a student, what's the experience like for them? So those were the first two hires that I did was a customer service for the inbox and also an operations person to focus on user experience when that prospect became a customer. Yeah, I really like the concept of like hiring for pain because that's the same exact approach that I took. I'm like, I hate social media. I need help (laughs) doing this. I was tired of like going back and forth trying to book podcast guests. So I'm like, I need administrative support. Then I ended up hiring an agent to deal with all the complications of brand deals and legal stuff. And so it's just like, y'all, we need to lower the ego very often in this journey and be okay with like not being the smartest person in the room, be okay with not having all of the answers and really just getting comfortable leaning into stepping back. Absolutely. It's essential, I think, for our business to grow, but also for like us to grow personally. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your personal growth as an entrepreneur. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned or had to maybe unlearn as part of this journey. Because I will tell you, I did not realize how much therapy I was signing up for becoming a business owner. I'm like, yo, like every day, confronting limiting beliefs, (laughs) confronting the bullshit narratives that I've been floating around my head. Like we can't escape it in this world. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, which season? Because I learned so much. (laughs) I learned so much. And I think early on, one of the biggest things you touched upon is like asking for help. And so that's one of the things I had to unlearn because I grew up in a culture where you just, the last person you help was yourself. And so I had to really learn early on, like I'm struggling in these areas and having those conversations. And I think what helped me was I made it public. I said, you know what, I'm going to make these conversations public. And so on Instagram, I started having these public conversations of like, I'm struggling as a CEO. Like y'all see me thinking I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm really mentally struggling. And so some of the biggest, I think, personal lessons I learned, the one that comes to mind is you could scale yourself out of business. Why I say that is last year, there was two paths I could have went on. The first path was scale moderately, you know, 10% each month and everything is, is great. The team could manage it. I could continue hiring for pain or you could scale viciously. And I decided to scale viciously. So I wasn't looking for 10% return. I said, how do I get 200% return? And this literally almost exited my business from being in existence because everything broke. We started serving our customers poorly. And that was the, the big thing. The people I was hiring didn't make sense. 
I was hiring people from these Ivy League, Harvard and this and that, Princeton. And they came in because they, I told them I want to scale, but they didn't really understand the business. And so I was hiring people based on, oh, they went to Harvard, right? Rather than, are they a good fit? And so I was scaling myself out of business. And I remember it was a good amount of us. And I let almost one fourth of my team go. I let like 12 people go in a week. And I was like, okay, I need to take a step back because now we're not making any money. Yeah, we're making a half a million a month, but we're also losing a half a million a month <laughs> at the same time. And so I said, wait a second, something is, is broken. And so I took a step back. I said, you know what? Let me grow slowly. Let me come back and let me grow a business because the goal for me was to live a lifestyle that I want. And I wasn't able to do that by, by scaling at that level. And I said, you know what, let me take a step back and, and grow a different way. So I think that was one of the biggest lessons. I mean, and we could talk about hiring. Hiring is, is challenging. You know, you're not going to hit every hire that you bring on. And you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss a lot when it comes to hiring. But it doesn't mean that you should then just take it on yourself at the same time. It does not mean that. Wow, that is an incredible lesson to share. And I think it's important for a lot of us to really get clear on like, why do we have the goals that we have? Is it because we see other people doing something that we perceive we are also entitled to? But have you thought about what sacrifices, what resources, what type of investments those people have probably made to get to that point? And are you willing to make those investments, those sacrifices and to find those resources. Because for me, now being, you know, a multiple six-figure business owner, I'm sure a lot of us who are in this space are like, well, now it's seven figures. Now I got to go do this. Now I got to do that. And I'm like, but do I really have to? Do I really want to? Do I really want a team of 20, 30, 40 fucking people? I hated being a manager in corporate America. So why the hell would I create a business that requires me to do the exact same shit that I was trying to get away from? And I think a lot of it comes down to this idea of like, when is enough enough? That's something that I've been sitting with a lot this year of just like not putting the pressure on myself to catch up to anybody or replicate what anybody else is doing and being perfectly okay with that. I'm wondering if that resonates with you at all. Yeah, absolutely. It resonates. I think that there's a sweet spot that you'll hit where you're like, okay, I'm doing what I want. I am traveling to the places I'm, I don't have to look at the menu prices when I'm at restaurants, right? Like there's a sweet spot, you know, I could take care of rent and I have an additional access of cash flow. I'm not saying that be comfortable, but I think there's give yourself time to be comfortable. Don't hit that spot, that sweet spot and say, okay, I got to go to the next thing because let me tell you something. The next thing is, is a lot. It's really a beast. And so sit and comfort sometimes, right? Sit in that sweet spot of where your business is. And just because you begin to scale doesn't mean you're going to get the same margins. And so I, I would joke around with my friends all the time. I was like, man, I loved when I was making 100K a month and I was taking 60,000 in profit. Dang, those are the good old days. Like those are great. Where now it's like you make 100K, you take home 10. You're like, wait a second, you got a team to PA. You know, you got benefits, you got this, you got softwares and systems, you got. And so it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. The grass is not always greener, y'all. It's just probably going to cost you more to maintain it. Okay. Let's talk to the aspiring entrepreneurs, the ones who know that they have something to share, but they are doing the most. They have 17 different ideas. They don't know what is actually going to be scalable, what is going to be 
what people are going to pay them for. What's your advice for somebody who's trying to tease out where they can show up as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I think most people don't put their ideas out there because of like how other people will see them. And so I think that the best thing you could do if you are on social media is just to test it out, right? Either go to two ways. You could say, you know what, let me just provide this service to two or three clients and build a case study first. And then let me go ahead and try to get my first client for, I know I want to charge 10K, but let me start with like 1500 let me validate that. Now I have another case study that I could utilize as well. And the second thing is go and talk to the people that you're trying to serve. And so one of the things I love doing is I love doing backdoor research. So this means in Facebook groups, I literally will go and search threads of like, I'll put Facebook ads and I'll see what are people asking when it comes to Facebook ads. And then I'll create content around what they're asking. I'll go to Reddit. You know, I go to Twitter and I'll search these keywords just to understand, like, what do people want to know about these things? And then this is how you start building authority, because you're literally answering their question in a format where they're like, oh, I could just go here because this person talks about this specific type of content. And as you're doing that, the third thing I want you to think about is what do you want to be known for? If you're someone that is selling uh, products to help people with their skin, maybe you want to then start putting out content around skincare, right? Maybe you want to put uh, content around health and, and why your skin's important around that. And so you slowly start building your authority. The other thing I want to mention, and I was just listening to one with Brooke Castillo, the Life Coach School. I don't know if you're familiar. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but she had said something and I was like, wow, that's absolutely spot on. She said, most of us do not try to do the biggest thing we're capable of because we're afraid of shame, right? Instead of trying to not think thoughts of shame, embrace the notion that the experience will be an extraordinary, right? Like, why are we always thinking that the worst could happen? Like, what if the idea actually turns out to be a really great idea? And so that, that would be my suggestions. Yeah, I think a lot of what happens when we spiral into those negative thoughts is we are taking other people's perceived judgments of what we're capable of and like internalizing those things. So if you grew up in a household where you just didn't see people like, taking risk that you didn't see people testing out what's possible in life, you're not going to believe that it's possible for you. Right. And the same thing with your friend group. If you see everybody just like being okay with being mediocre, it's going to be hard to be that person to challenge your inner thoughts. And so I think a big part of what I've had to do is realize I need to curate an environment, friends, loved ones, business partners, mentors that are going to reinforce those beliefs that I need in order to push forward because you can't do this alone. And I think community is so important in this journey. Absolutely. No, I, I echo the same sentiments. Like community is everything, like who you're around, who feeds your soil, you know, that that's important. And if you can't change your environment, change your mental, change your consumption. What are you reading? What are you podcasting? You know, you're watching TV, but like, how is that helping you in terms of your alignment of where you want to go? So again, if you can't change your environment, because I've been there, I in a really poor neighborhood, really hard, but I had to change my consumption and the things I, I consumed in order to change my mindset. And so that's what I would recommend. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So you have your idea. 
Now, how do you decide where you want to show up? Because there are a million different platforms. There's a new one coming out every day. Now we got to worry about something called Be Real, which I'm just like, I don't even want to know about this at this point. So how do you figure out where to show up as an entrepreneur in this digital marketplace that can feel like you need to be doing the most and you need to be everywhere at the same time? And this is one of the hardest things because it's only one of you. And a lot of people have multiple accounts. There are multiple platforms. I would probably say like start with one, right? Like start with one, whatever that you're getting the most engagement in or that one that you feel the most adequate of using because there are people that are older that they're like, you know what? I don't understand this, but I understand that. Like start with what you understand and what's digestible. For me, if you're selling anything, I always recommend Instagram or TikTok because it's visual, especially if you're selling something like, or you're trying to build an authority, like these two platforms are are really good. And then in the back end, like if you do have the support, think about YouTube as well, because YouTube, the evergreenness of YouTube is just different. But I would highly recommend with, you know, starting with a platform you understand. My suggestions are always like Instagram or utilizing TikTok, but start with what you understand at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm also a really big proponent of creating your own headquarters, right? Because when we're leveraging social media too much, all it takes is for your account to get hacked or for you to get banned or some shit to go down. And then all of a sudden you've lost your entire audience. So what are your thoughts about that? Should we be creating websites, uh, some sort of home base for us on the internet? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I have like two home base, one for my personal brand, one for the company. And this is also where transactions occur. I know sometimes people want to transact literally utilizing the Instagram shopping feature. Well, to me, it's bad because you lose out on capturing data, right? And the name of the game is data. Like you want to drive as much data to your website because then you could repurpose that for brand partnerships. You could repurpose that for advertisements. You could repurpose that to help you create your content strategy a lot more. And so your website is where transactions should occur, but it also should be your home base. Social media, they're just filters to get people to the home base of where you're going. I've had my ad account banned a few times, and I had to then rely on my email list that I was building on the back end in order to hit my sales goals for the month or for the week while I was trying to figure out how to get my accounts back up. And so I would would highly recommend collecting your customers' information outside of the social platforms, aka meaning your home base, your home website. Yeah, I love that advice. I think it's so smart. And I think it's important, right? Like when we're thinking about the power of social media and we want to go viral, it's like, but do you have the systems in place to handle going viral? Because where are all these people going to go if there's nowhere for them to buy your product, get on your email list? None of that shit matters. You know, your fucking million views doesn't matter if there's nothing that comes out of it from a concrete perspective. So make sure you're actually putting the things in place to handle the virality that you are so eager to achieve. Speak on it. She ain't lying. <laughs> she ain't lying. <laughs> okay, so you keep mentioning data. And so the first thing that I think about are like the Facebook pixel. 
Yeah. Is is that what you're talking about? And if so, can you tell me like what the hell is that? Because I'm still trying to understand it. <laughs> yeah. So when I talk about data or data, I'm talking about the uh, entire spectrum of when your customer sees your brand for the first time to when they make a purchase. So data meaning the Google Analytics that you have on your website, data meaning some website platforms show you the data of the people visiting, et cetera. Data meaning insights going through your Instagram demographics. So, and I think most entrepreneurs, they're like, I'm so creative. Like, I don't want to look at the numbers, but I'm like, the money is in the numbers. Like, I don't care if you're raising capital. The first question they're going to ask you is around your data, right? Okay. What's your customer acquisition cost? You know, how many people are coming to visit your website? So when I first started my program, I used to market it as come learn data to sell your products and no one enrolled. I was yeah, like, I mean, it doesn't sound like it fun. doesn't sound sexy. You know, they're like, data, what you talking about? And I was like, OK, let me change the positioning. Come learn ads to sell your products and services. They're like, OK, I, I understand what that is. But literally, it was the same program. I teach people how to read data effectively in order to run better marketing campaigns. And when we talk about, you know, Google Analytics and Facebook, there's Facebook Pixel. There are these things that you put on your website and what it does is once you put this code on your website is it collects data and it speaks to that platform. It tells Facebook how you should retarget someone, right? Then now Facebook knows which campaigns. And then when you start running marketing campaigns, you, you're not only running one, you may be running five at a time. And what the pixel will tell Facebook is marketing campaign number two and three are doing extremely well. One, four and five are not doing well at all. So turn them off. And so this is what I mean when I say data. And when you mention a Facebook pixel, it's literally a piece of code that tracks the activity of your customer. And it speaks back to Facebook on what's actually happening on your website. So this is why once you start interacting with an ad from a creator, you will see them all over the damn place. You will see them on Google. You will see them in your freaking nightmares. Okay. They will follow you around in your dreams. Right. We that go together now. Happening. Right. We go together now. Real bad. Real bad. <laughs> I'm like, how do, how do I stop this? But yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. And it really is all about the numbers, right? Like when people want to work with me from a brand partnership perspective, first thing they want to know, what's your audience demographics? age ranges? Where do they live? How many downloads are you getting a month? Like all of the data that you collect on all these platforms that you're creating, all this content, that is what will make or break your ability to secure business partnerships, et cetera. Right? Absolutely. So, so important, even though it sounds like you got to start doing complicated math. No, it's just really about understanding where is this information and how to utilize it to help you make strategic decisions that are going to allow you to continue to grow. Yep. And that's what the journey that I learned as a food blogger when I started realizing that my site would crash whenever I was posting a Puerto Rican recipe. That's the thing that told me, oh, shit, I got to keep doing this. Mm. And that's exactly what I did and got to the point where like I'm now able to enjoy this passive income from content that I created because I listened to what people needed and I was filling a market niche that was being underserved. It sounds really, you know, like, duh, but unless you are connecting those dots and really making decisions with that information, 
that's why a lot of us end up spinning our wheels because we just think like, well, of course everybody's going to see this post or of course everybody's going to buy this product because it's just so fucking fabulous. But it's not about that. It's about really understanding what needs are you serving with your customer and what's resonating. Okay. So let's talk about now being on the other side of burnout when it comes to entrepreneurship. What are you doing differently this time going forward so that you don't find yourself again in this place where this thing that so many of us crave, right, becomes the thing that takes away the freedom that we all wanted. Yeah. And that's a really great question because I remember I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, you know, first you build it, then you organize it, you document it, and then you delegate. And so I'm like, okay, I need to make sure I'm doing that because sometimes you forget. Sometimes you skip steps. I'm like, wait a second. And so for me, I'm in this stage now where I'm looking to delegate, right? I'm looking to delegate a lot of the tasks after I build it, after I organize it and document it. I try to solve my own problems and then I put people in place where I already give them the solution and how I solved it. What I found is it's a lot easier in that sense than trying to bring on someone to then try to solve your problem and then you're relying on them and then when you let them go, you still got the same problem. The second thing I think I try to do is like, again, trying to hire good people. At the end of the day, when you're building something and you have people that you like around you, you have people that, you know, you're having a good time with, it makes building a lot less stressful, right? Like you have more laughters and that really goes a long way. The third thing is I recently hired an executive assistant. Man, I needed that. I needed that bad because what people don't understand, especially with business owners like you and I, is that we have a business, but then we're also a business ourselves. And so I thought that, oh, I'll just hire someone just for the business. But then I was drowning. And then the business started drowning because I was a brand myself. And so I hired an executive assistant to manage both my personal and business. And it's been a game changer for me where I don't have to think. I always tell my team members, if I got to think about it, like, I don't know why you're here. Like, (laughs) it should already be done. And so, uh, and then the fourth thing is trusting the people that you hire. You have to have a level of trust. If you don't trust them, one, you shouldn't have hired them to begin with. So I think for me, I'm doing the groundwork of going back to what do I want now? Because it may look different than when I first started the business. And how do I build towards the thing that I want without all this unnecessary things, noise that I'm easily as an entrepreneur drawn to? Well, let me just start this other business. Well, let me do this on top of it. Let me do, you know, I really just took a step back and said, what do I actually want? And can I achieve that with this current business that I'm running? Or do I need to do something different? And the answer was I could achieve it with the current business. I just need to put in place a better infrastructure. Absolutely. It is really just about trial and error, y'all. Like you are creating a path that doesn't exist. That's why it feels so hard. You have to really compare it to when you walk into a corporate job that all the processes are in place, all the structures in place. You're just trying to figure out where you fit in there versus you literally creating the building, creating the entire infrastructure. It's an infinitely more difficult lift. And so if right now you're in the throes of entrepreneurship and you're like, holy shit, this is hard. I like to say welcome to the club (laughs) right? (laughs) because it's supposed to be. You're doing it right. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) All right, Abu, I know so many people are going to want to find out so much more about you, how they can work with you, how they can find out more about you. I know you have an incredible podcast as well. So tell us where we can find you, 
and how you work with clients to help them achieve their marketing goals for their business. Yes. So um, you can find me. I'm on Instagram at Abu Fofana. That's A-B-U-F-O-F-A-N-A-H. And through there, like through the link in my bio or on Twitter, you could find out more information. However, um, I run a marketing accelerator called Power Your Launch. It's a virtual marketing accelerator. And we serve and we teach entrepreneurs and business owners how to build effective marketing campaigns, how to use paid media and paid ads in order to get in front of their customers. So it doesn't matter whether you're a service-based business or a product-based business, we teach you the skills necessary that you need to know in order to acquire leads and acquire sales online. And so we've trained over 10,000 business owners, 90% of them are women-owned businesses. And out of that 10,000 sales generated from those students, about 54 million in sales collectively. And so we've been working and for the longest amount of time, we didn't get the recognition. And so there are times where people start building brands and they don't get the recognition and we're making all this impact. And here I am like, dang, why haven't Forbes written about us yet? Like we're helping people make so much money. And you have to realize as a business owner, focus on the impact. Like don't worry about the recognition early on because eventually we got written about in all these articles and, and covered, et cetera. But we really try to help people. We try to really help people. And, and, and that's the biggest reason why I'm still doing it for the last few years. But again, come if you want to learn how to acquire customers online and um, through marketing and learning new skills. That's incredible. And I think it's such a powerful message. There is nothing that is more powerful than an actual testimonial of a client than you have helped with your business. There is no amount of money that you can pay for like true transformation that comes from working with somebody and helping them achieve their goals. So if when all else fails, focus on that impact. And that's when the income will start to come. So Abu, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your expertise. We're going to make sure to link all of the resources that you mentioned in the episode show notes. Please go and follow him. He's incredible. And, you know, I just want to wish you continued success. And thank you for giving us permission to show up like badass entrepreneurs in this space. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, 
budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.